Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There was a moment after the All-Ireland Hurling final yesterday when Limerick's captain Declan Hannan gave their beaten opponents the traditional three cheers. Mm. The camera then pans to Galway's Joe Canning, who has a face in him, as they say, like a bulldog chewing a wasp again. Mm. Each hip hip ray drilling deeper into his tortured soul. I thought I'd have to wait a long time to see a more pissed off looking individual at the end of a sporting event. But then I stuck on the Man United game and within a few minutes saw the head on Ed Woodward after <laughs> the full time whistle blew at the Amex Stadium. Woodward looked like he was munching on a full wasp's nest and washing down with some cool, refreshing cyanide. <laughs> Thanks for checking out Monday's Second Captain's Football Podcast. Okay, again, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. I'm better than Ed Woodward is. Anyway, apparently he Sounds like you, you derived a lot of pleasure this weekend from watching other people's... You really reveled in a lot of people's misery. Oh, no, no, no. I didn't, I didn't derive any pleasure from watching Joe Canning, but he did get his All-Ireland last year, so yes, I was pleased for Limerick. Ken. I was pleased for Limerick. I think most people were. More of that in our second podcast today. But as for Woodward, apparently he made his way down to the United dressing room afterwards but left before Mourinho arrived back from his post-match interviews, unfortunately. I'm sure that'll do a lot of favours for Jose's state of mind. Jose just what, sees he was him here. walking away. Yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. What did he say, lads? Oh, nothing. Nothing, boss. Uh, nothing no, nothing important. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's trouble brewing at United by the looks of things. Um, it's, it's not looking good. I mean, it wasn't looking good before the beginning of the season. Uh, there was plenty of uh, complaining being done by uh, Jose Mourinho and... Okay, we they've now lost the second game of the season against the team they're expected to be. Although did lose to as well last season, they lost one nil to Brighton away uh, towards the end of last season, um, as they lost to each one of the promoted teams last season. So they've already, uh, you know, and and for this to happen on the same day that City are winning six one, you know, <laughs> this is not too good. And there was you know Pogba. We play Pogba now, actually. I think. I mean, uh, I thought it was interesting that Pogba was even sort of doing an interview 
you know, he he obviously he always seems to be doing the interviews. He could stuff. he could have um, opted out of this one, I think, but he did, he did an interview and he said a couple of things. We hear a little bit of him. You know, I know I lost a lot of balls that shouldn't happen for a midfielder, but I mean, I try, I keep pushing. That's me. That's my personality. I know if I lose some balls, and I try to play the same ball, but sometimes when it's not your day, it's not your day. I think they prepare the game very well. They prepare, maybe they prepare better, uh, much better than us. They uh, already went to press and stuff like this, and as well, maybe we didn't have the attitude. Yeah, I mean, he he went on to say well, maybe we didn't have the attitude, and I sort of include myself in that. I did, my attitude wasn't right. And I, when I saw him saying that, I thought, <laughs> oh, Paul. Why do you have to say a thing like that at a time like this? Because for a player on his level to say my attitude wasn't right seems, I mean, okay, who, like what 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 are we supposed to make of that? Why was your attitude not right? How can you stand here and say that their attitude was better? But the thing that he also said there, which is maybe a bit more pointed, is that maybe they prepared the game better than us. Yeah. They prepared the game better than us. Mm. Who prepares the game? One man, really, on each side. Chris Hewton has done a great job. Yeah. Chris, <laughs> yeah. I was just waiting for him to go on to talk about how great Chris Hewton is, but he didn't <laughs> quite do that. Yeah, that's, that's so that tall like as well, Chris <laughs> Yeah, impressive individual. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, it, it wasn't uh, not a great uh, interview. A lot, um, a lot for Manchester to think about. I mean, we're going to be talking with uh, John Bruin and Daniel Harris. Uh, in more detail about them, I think. John Heffernan has demanded we get a Gary Neville versus Ken Erty round two. The apology. <laughs> not quite sure that's how it would go down. No. Yeah, now it's not just head-to-heads between Ken and Gary Neville. You cheeky bastard. <laughs> that's the man you, that you can enjoy in the World Service. He'll continue to get that sort of honest football analysis and interviews throughout the season. Shane Duffy made a big impact on the Premier League. Weekend just gone for Brighton. You can listen to his interview in the player's chair with Richie Sadler on the World Service. Here's a taster of that one. Pencil. I know what I am, and I know what kind of. What does that mean? I know what I am. I know what I am. I've got to work hard, really. I'm not the. I'm not the most talented footballer in the world, and where you get them players, you know they've got the ability, and you know you can see what like the special players, like the hazards and stuff like that, where you're like. Yeah, but you're a centre half. It's not exactly, kind of fair yeah. to compare yourself to someone like. Hazard no, I'm just, just on about ability-wise yeah. where you can see well, just because I played against him this weekend it was like Yeah, what was that like? Yeah, it was it was, it was was the toughest game I've had probably where you can see like you can't get near him really and it was it was difficult he had so much space and it was great as well though I was loving it like not really loving it but I was loving playing against someone that quality see how how good they actually are and it reminded me of Coutinho when we played them and Mm. It was just like a different level above, like, like the the average game on a Saturday, really. So even in the game when you're up against someone, um, like us at home watching it can be really appreciative of the yeah. brilliant things they do. Even you as an opponent, sometimes you can in the moment even still be appreciative. Oh, after ten minutes, I, look, <laughs> I think I looked the the centre half who was playing. We played three, and I just went, "Wow!" Like, like what are you supposed to do? Like, just bring them down, really, or? And it was just one of those moments where I don't really have it in games where you're like, I can't get near them. Like, but on Saturday it was one of them where I was just I was wild really. Yeah, well maybe Shane Duffy 
knows what he is, as he says, but he did a pretty good impression of Coutinho and or Hazard with his nifty little finish yesterday. So for all the best football coverage with Ken throughout the season, the return of the players' chair with Richie in the coming weeks, and for interviews with the likes of Gary Neville, for fuck's sake, join the World Service today, please. We'd love you to support independent, member-led, commercial-free journalism for five quid a month, as Eamon says. It's a whole new way of doing journalism. Sure is, Eamon. Thanks so much. Let's report on sport, please, Ken. Well, I suppose we should talk about the Irish. The Irish in mm-hmm. the Premier League. Like Duffy just there. Shane Duffy. And scoring and goal against Manchester United. Very good. Uh, good game for him. And also the way he gets to look down on Romelu Lukaku. I mean physically look down on Romelu Lukaku at the end. Was a heartening sight to see. You know, maybe our team isn't the strongest at the moment. But we do have some big lads. Uh, Lukaku looking up at Shane Duffy. Congratulating him on besting him uh, at the Amex Stadium. Harry Arter. Getting away with... Uh, <laughs> Do you remember Wayne Rudy got sent off for this exact same tackle that Harry Arter got away with? Harry Arter playing for Cardiff mm. against Newcastle. A horrific foul to stop a breakaway where where it's like, a, you know, the, the typical I'll take that yellow card tactical foul, except that this was like a really awful like siding swing, which should have been a red card. Um, he uh, He got away with it. Um, and Cardiff, I suppose, got another Irishman, Kennedy, uh, <laughs> missing a 96-minute penalty to win the game for Newcastle. Well, obviously, didn't win the game. Um, ha- he he had gone through the first half without completing a pass, which wow. is a like a first time in 15 years anyone's done that. The penalty wasn't particularly convincingly struck either. It was exactly like the penalty that Brighton scored against Manchester United, except the Brighton one went in. That yeah. the Hayes, it went in off the Hayes' legs, whereas. Um, whereas Cardiff managed to save it. Uh, Stephen Ward got kicked off the pitch by Will Hughes, Watford's he, young Will Hughes. He was lucky not to get injured with that one. Will Hughes has has kind of changed his appearance. He's gone a bit more. He he obviously had that very um, fair complexion, uh, sort of the white blonde hair and the pink face. Uh, he's kind of changed it to, to go a bit more tough. He's gone a bit American History X with a, with a sort of much tougher... Uh, shaven head, goatee, sort of, and also savage off the pitch tackles. Um, maybe that will will work for him. Uh, Jeff Hendrick in the same game. Too much, bit too much faffing about. With a, you know, he's, you know, when you when you got the ball there, the open goal in front of you. What would Romario do? Romario you know? would Romario would Romario try to. Um, Faint and sort of drag the ball back across the Shoot sliding first tackle. Of the the he poked it in with his toe. To yeah, set himself. Just poke. Just get the toe on it, and could win a golf Burnley. Uh, wasn't anyway. So, I guess that'll do for that. Uh, what was going on? Uh, I mentioned we'll talk a bit more about the Man United game. Uh, that, I mean, that was kind of the outstanding result, I suppose, from the weekend or the surprise result. I personally own spent a lot of the weekend watching the Manchester City documentary on Amazon Prime, All or Nothing. Hang on, you spent a lot of your weekend watching it or you watched a lot of the documentary? I watched all of it. You've seen the entire documentary. Oh my God. Like, I couldn't believe when I looked at it and it was like eight 45 to 50 minute episodes. I thought, what? How could they possibly have made this many episodes? Well, that's how, you know, your average series is about that. Yeah, your average series is more interesting than this. (laughs) This is like a a season diary. You know the ending. It's not like you're watching Succession or you know one of these 
shows where you're like, oh, what's going to happen? I know what happened. I know what happened. In fact, I've seen a lot of this content before. You know, all the, I've seen the action. I've seen some of the interviews. Um, why do they have to? I thought maybe six half hours, eight half hours at max. Hey, like a proper, like, Jesus. So, so I re, it was a real, I kind of felt a bit embittered because I was like, I can't believe I'm spending my, my entire weekend doing this. Like, I resent this. But but one of the things I I suppose that, that had come up, I mean, uh, Jose Mourinho hadn't, didn't wait to watch it before he criticized it. Uh, this is because he'd heard a little bird had told him that Man City tried to make him look like uh, a bit of a clown. Uh, a bit of a turkey, uh, uh, and I was I was waiting to see how disparaging it was going to be about Bert Mourinho. And actually, it's only in episode two of eight really that they that they focus on him because the way they structure it is the first, like kind of the first episode is like intro, and then almost the entire unbeaten run or the the, the winning run, and the second episode I think is United. the The first game at Old Trafford, it's like they've zoomed over us forever, but now. You know, we we fight back, and now we're going to bring down the empire or whatever. Uh, so they do a bit with Jose, or, or they do a bit on Jose and Kevin De Bruyne, because obviously Jose sold De Bruyne. So they have like a an interview with Jose where where he's the Chelsea manager, and he 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 he, he, he looks even five years ago, sort of more arrogant, like more f- fresh, arrogant, sort of you know cock of the walk compared compared to the way he is now like it's only been a few few years you know you you have this tendency to you speak about only the players who are not on the pitch you speak about the players who are not on the squad you know because because people are saying oh where's Kevin De Bruyne you know you left him out Uh, I left him out because I didn't like his last game against Swindon I think he says Um, basically saying De Bruyne's cack so I didn't pick him and don't talk to me about De Bruyne Oh, you're all talking about Pedro Leon. I would have, I thought, the way you're going on, I thought I left Diego Maradona or, or Zidane out of the field. But it is Pedro Leon. No, you know, so it was the same, kind of the same thing. And De Bruyne going, yeah, I decided to leave because, and then they showed De Bruyne, you know, coming back and be, being the player of the year in Germany, scoring amazing goals and being an absolute genius. So I suppose if that's disparaging, I don't, I didn't think it was. I mean, it's, it's Mourinho's own words. It's just showing him like this is the this is the price of the sort of arrogance with which he conducts himself. Sometimes you're arrogant in a mistaken way, and you end up looking like a fool after a per- given period of time. What they do is is they um, they talk about uh, how Manchester United are parking the bus. There's loads of fans saying, "Park the bus, park the bus, Man United." Ben Kingsley on the narration says, it is attacking football against Park the Bus. And so they, they kind of, it is a bit re- reductive in that sense. And they play up the fouls and stuff. They, they're always doing that in this thing. It's like, you just see Man City players. All that happens in games is either Man City players score amazing goals, celebrate goals, or get fouled. And the referee's like, what am I supposed to do about that? You know, come on, it's a get up, it's a man's game. And the, and the City players are like, oh. And and Dr. Ramon Cugat in Barcelona is like, oh, it's unbelievable what they do to these players in England. Um, I didn't. I honestly didn't think it was it was too disparaging. Mourinho had said something like, oh, they owe me royalties. I'm in this movie so much. Um, uh, I'll tell you, I'll stop talking about the royalties if they send me one of those T-shirts that they were going to wear that they hadn't printed up for the when we went there and beat them three two. They were going to win the league. They didn't, and it was we won the title against United or whatever it was. And if they send me one of those t-shirts, then I'll forget it. I'll shut up about the royalties. Nice. I mean, the problem obviously that that, that Jose has is is football related. It's a football problem. 
you know, uh, before the season started, Guardiola was. I saw Neville and Carragher asking Guardiola, "Well, what, what are you, have you got? Anything new planned for this season?" He goes, "Well, you know, we have been thinking that uh, we had problems in a few games. We played against teams playing five four one, so we've kind of been working on a few different things we can do in that sort of game." And yesterday was just such a game. Huddersfield come five four one. What do City do? They play three one four two with Benjamin Mendy essentially as a as an attacking left winger. He runs the game, sets up a lot. Of, he he only got one assist, but he kind of created all the most of the trouble. Six um, one victory. Uh, next game, Manchester United away to Brighton. Same stuff. Same four three three. Nothing new. No ideas. No connections between the players in the field. Nothing. Just nothing. And a and a three one defeat with a four hundred million pound team. I didn't realize that. I don't remember Mendy being as good as this. I'm not saying he wasn't. I just ha- hadn't noticed that he was quite this electrifying. Maybe because he barely played last season. I mean, he. I think it was his twelfth game for City altogether. Yeah. I mean, Mendy is is a is a figure who who has a really outsized presence in this documentary. I would have thought so, just based on his Twitter stuff. I know, it's, but it's like well, this, is, this is ridiculous. Like, I mean. Uh, He's he, his profile way exceeds anything he's done. Now I'm not saying Mendy's a fantastic player. Um, they sort of focus on him at the beginning before he gets injured. You know they've got like Soriano saying, oh, Soriano Bergerstein saying, oh, you know he was our number one target, and I say number one. There was a big gap between number one and number two. You know, and then he gets injured. Oh no, he's out for the season. <laughs> and uh, but he continues to be in it because he's because he posts so much on social media, and you know, and this is okay because his team wins. You know, when you were talking about it last week, you were making the point that once you put this out there, you can craft it as well as you like. The makers of the documentary, the people involved in it, aren't necessarily going to know what way the internet is going to take it. No. What moments will become memeable moments, and what might potentially be embarrassing. Now, so far, I think it's see the one that's hitting home. Brian Murray, Cormac McCarthy, and others have tweeted us a link to the David Brent mean uh, well it's Guardiola Guardiola um, prancing about and I suppose if you see this sort of stuff out of context it does look really it's like very strange and in context it's hardly <laughs> any less so this is the interesting thing about this like as I said you you don't really learn that much about any of the players that you did not really know there isn't like they, they do little features on the players but they don't really get much you know it's like, like for, Kevin De Bruyne nice enough fella that kind of stuff. Yeah, but yeah. you don't really see... You know, there, there is a moment when De Bruyne is sort of cradling Leroy Sané's head and sort of trying to, like, consoling him. Like, Sané has been substituted or something, and he's not happy. And De Bruyne is like, hey, you know, it's going to be okay. And he's sort of, like, mothering him, you know, and that's okay. Uh, but you don't really... It's not as though you're, you're opening up new... I mean, Aguero talking about how, you know, he lives alone, basically. His kid... Uh, comes over from Argentina one week in every month. I wonder, do they do that last week of one month and the first week of the next month, and then wait seven weeks? And is that the way they do it? Because once a month going from Argentina to the UK is like really that just that's a massive pain in the arse. Although I suppose it's the kind of thing international footballers who play in South uh, South American footballers kind of have to do to play qualifiers. But anyway. But Guardiola's the, you get more of an insight into Guardiola, Guardiola do you, than the Well, it's because players. it's because like the uh, a lot a lot of the other stuff you already know. I mean, it, it is interesting to see this 
just the, the kind of secluded luxury of being a Man City player and like their dressing room, you know, with the names above the like this, it's this kind of white uh, circle names above lockers. Like it, I, the names above the locker strikes me as something that's there for people on stadium tours. Oh, this is where the boy sits, and they get a photo under his neck because surely the players know where you know. But it's all like everything is just laid on to such a massive extent. Like I mean, okay. It's interesting to watch this and to compare it with the 1980 Granada TV documentary called City, which is the, which is about the old Manchester City uh, when they were uh, at Main Road and they were a different type of operation from this shake-funded super Galactico club that they now are, um, and and that's that that documentary is I found much more enjoyable than the new one now maybe it's just because i watched like all of this new one then i watched the old one and it was just such a welcome relief to be in this other world where kind of more interesting stuff happens the people have had more interesting lives what was the content what sort of personalities were involved anyone we'd remember malcolm allison the legendary manchester city manager is in the, the dying days of his regime it's just he's just not getting through to the players anymore um but you know he's still he's still as you trying to come up with innovative ways. I mean, there's a lot. He sees himself more as a teacher than a manager. Says the voice. He can't resist any new ideas. He's tried dancing teachers, psychiatrists, university lecturers, and now he's planning music in the dressing room. Ah, huh, he was trying psychiatrists. What what year is this? Nineteen eighty. What? Yeah. People started using sports psychologists 10, 15 years ago and you'd swear they were never... Mm. This is a brand new phenomenon in football. Well, Malcolm Allison was, was doing it, uh, you know, thirty. Nearly 40 years ago. Uh, dancing teachers, psychiatrists, university lecturers, music in the dressing room, everybody does. But all those other things are, are kind of examples of the sort of staff City would have on their payroll now. Mm. You know, they've got this massive staff. There's all these people like going around in purple jackets, like kind of Oompa Loompas, <laughs> you know, who are like uh, the, the, just this massive, like Pep is at the center of this massive fawning court of like yes men who are there, primarily it, it seems to almost soothe him when he starts getting really nervous and, and agitated, which happens, like, all the time. But, like, I mean, the, the board, they showed a board as well. I mean, this is, this is an example of this, the man, somebody on the Man City board back in 1980 when they're, when they're talking about, okay, they're deciding maybe Malcolm Allison is, is screwed and they're going to have to interview a new manager. It's going to be John Bond. Yeah. He's, he's an old, uh, he's actually a, an old friend of Malcolm Allison. They were together at West Ham. Um, there's a line in it Mal Malcolm Alson was known as the master of the West Ham Academy until his career was cut short when he lost a lung Oof. I thought what? that's not the sort of thing that happens these days he had TB turned out he had to have a bit of his lung out he didn't stop him smoking massive cigars the whole time as he walks around in his tracksuit bottoms in the dressing room just tracksuit bottoms and, and a cigar like telling the players what to do in the game like, this it's, sounds it's, great it's, 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 it's way better it's like it's just it's just way better. But here's an example of, of the kind of board member. Uh, this is definitely the poshest member of the board. One of the qualities of a manager, apart from knowledge of football and ability to coach, is man management. And perhaps I should say boy boy management. Perhaps I should say boy, boy management. management. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's like why, Oh, it's unbelievable. Uh, that's it, that's the kind of thing you're you're dealing with. But like they they did have a certain amount of freedom. These the, the makers of this documentary did sort of editorialize or, or to, to trace the narrative and the way that it worked out in 1980 was it worked out like re amazingly because okay they sack Allison so you got this drama they bring in John Bond his former his friend turns out they're not really that much 
they're not really that friendly. Although they are, but they also sort of hate each other. Well, presumably after this transaction. No, it's been, like before, the John Bonner's like, well, you know, he... He always, uh, I think Malcolm always gave me the impression he always thought I was just some little lad up from the sticks, some little country bumpkin. I'd never really amount to much, you know. So Bond is obviously loving it. But then they get drawn. Allison then goes to Palace, Crystal Palace, and they get drawn against each other in the cup. So Malcolm Allison is coming back, like a couple, a couple of months after being sacked, he's coming back to, to play Man City, his old team, with his new team, Palace. City went 4 0. And afterwards, there's this scene where Bond and. Uh, John Bond, the new city manager, and Alison, the previous and legendary city manager, are sitting like together in a like what appears to be sort of post-match press conference. And this is what Bond comes out with, speaking here about Malcolm Allison, his predecessor and supposedly friend. I think if you could get somebody who was big enough to control him and run him and be connected with him, I think that you could be really, really successful. But I, I tell you what, you have to really have somebody who would control him because there is no, absolutely no doubt he has the capacity and the ability to make players better. I'm not sure, honestly and truthfully, whether he has the capacity to make teams better if he has the ultimate control. I mean, you only have to look at him. I'm you only have to... He frightens people when he walks into situations. Does he frighten you? No, no, he used to. He used to, but I've long since known him, haven't I? I've long, I've stood up to him, you see, and that was one of the big reasons that I got on with him. I took Almighty Stick from him in certain situations. He belittled me. He he, he kept me there. But at the end of the day, I've never had other than respect for him. I'll always, I'll always like the fella. I'll always love the fella. He's he's a magic. He's a magic, magic fella. I found that fella that controlled me. That's me. <laughs> That was Alison at the end. I found that fellow who can draw me. That's me. Now, is that just not the most amazing? Like, what what was going on with people? Were they just compulsively honest back in the day? Why don't they put? Why don't they keep putting managers sitting beside each other in I these know. situations? So the, the famous Clough Revy oh, stuff. Brilliant. You know what I mean? Just have them beside each other. And I don't think Pep Guardiola would like that. Pep and Jose just sitting there for an hour. I've, like. I've seen him in exactly that situation, actually, with Jurgen Klopp before the German Cup final in 2014. Really? They make them do a joint press conference. Right, right. Uh, the, the two managers and the two captains. And that's that's not a situation Pep enjoyed because he's up there against Klopp who's like making everyone in the room laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like you're up there with like Frankie Boyle or Kevin Bridges <laughs> or something and you're like... This is this is super annoying. You know, I can't, I can't think of any jokes. <laughs> um, so Pep... Uh, so okay, so he Pep obviously comes out as the star. I mean, there's a couple of things with players like Vincent Company. Co- company, to, I'll tell you who who comes out. The, the only player who comes out with his image transformed mm-hmm. is Fabian Delph. Fabian Delph is like one of the lesser lights, I would say, in the team. I don't think even Fabian Delph would really dispute that. You know, I mean, they, he played left back for a lot of the season. They're like, we were desperate to sign a left back. Uh, he, he, he ended up filling in at left back. He usually plays midfield. Um, but Fabian Delph talks a lot more than you might expect for someone of his comp- relatively low status. Mm. Fabian Delph's a good footballer. That's why he's playing for Man City. But, you know, within that dressing room, you would have thought he's not one of the big lad, big shots. But he, there he is. He's always standing up and saying something sort of blandly aggressive. All right, let's get into him. You know, yeah. He's the English core of the team. He is, he is part of the English core. Him, Kyle Walker, uh, Stonesy, 
Bernardo Silva. Bernardo's kind of the English core as well. He's a good lad, Bernardo. Very good at head tennis. Uh, yeah. Mixes well. Uh, good, good lad around the hotel and on the field. Uh, top, top professional. Glad you could give your entire weekend over to finding out that Bernardo Silva's good, good lad. Good lad, good lad at head tennis. Fernandinho, soft-eyed family man, loves his little uh, daughter. Spent a lot of money on her first birthday party, like an obscene amount of money. Like it was like Marie Antoinette. Like, what do you do? Got to be careful there because he's going to be retired by the time she's, you know, six or seven or whatever. Well, they, they just she'll went... be expecting it to get bigger and better every year. <laughs> just with that, his the length of his contract does come up as a discussion point in the movie. Actually, mm, this guy's pretty old. But uh, what was oh Delph? Delph actually is he's always piping up and then there's a bit after they lose to United 3-2 when Delph is like screaming like there's this you can hear this voice screaming like fuck's sake fuck's sake as the players are sort of you know making their way back to the dressing room there's just this lone voice ranting and raving and swearing and it's Delph he's going absolutely ballistic because he can't believe they lost uh, and then he's then he's like we stop fucking running you know, looking around, accusing the other teammates, and, and and kind of this turns into a bit of a of a confrontation with Guardiola because he says, "No, no, 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 don't blame each other, don't blame each other." Delva's like, "Remember the fucking basics of football," and uh, he's you know the the this is Delva's message, and Guardiola's like, "No, no, football is so complicated. Football at the top level is so complicated." Um, but it's great. Uh, you do see that Delph is a real. He, he pushes himself forward. Maybe he feels if I don't push myself forward, no one is going to take any notice. He does a bit of that. Great. Obviously, Vincent Company does a bit of that. He's a presidential figure at the club. He goes to uh, he goes to talk to a group of kids at one point, and they're like, uh, "Who?" Somehow the question comes up like, "Who's the person you admire most?" And he says, "Oh, Nelson Mandela." And then he looks at the kids and he's like, "Do you know who that is?" And they're like, "Some of them are like, yes," and some of them are like, "No." And he goes, "Oh, very. It's very important." And Nelson. And so he starts describing Nelson Mandela, and he basically says, "Nelson Mandela." Went to jail for 30 years for a crime he didn't commit. But then he was let out. And instead of being angry with the people who banged him up, he forgave them. And I'm kind of like, okay, but what are the kids? Like, you haven't mentioned anything about, like, South Africa or apartheid or, or, or anything to do with, like, other. it's just apparently Nelson Mandela is just some guy who went to jail. Yeah. Uh, and the kids are like, oh, okay, you know, and... Uh, Big Vince is like, that's really important. And the kids are kind of puzzled. And one of them then pipes up, what was the crime? And Vince and company is clearly caught in the hop by this. <laughs> it's like, shit, what do I say? <laughs> <laughs> what exactly was the crime? Uh, and, he, and, he, and he just looks at them and he goes, the crime was being black. And it's kind of like, well, not exactly. <laughs> I mean, in terms of the crime, I think he admitted like sabotage or whatever, and he made a big speech about how he had to do what he did. It wasn't like, uh, you know. But look, these are the these are the dancing company's job is to captain Manchester City, not to you know learn off the details. We all he got the basic story right, you know, about about Mandela, and I agree that Mandela is an important figure. You know who should? Hmm. It would be good for the for the kids to, to find out more. Those about kids his thought example. they were going to have great crack, and now they're all having to read "Long Walk to Freedom." <laughs> this is complex. Long book about the long walk. Uh, but look, okay, so so this, the the real star is obviously Dr. Ramon Cugat. No, the real star is Pep, because all of the most interesting bits of this film revolve around the footage they've got from the dressing room during matches, halftime, after matches, and the team meetings. So this is stuff that previously you didn't have access to. It's not like Sky would do a focus feature with like Bernardo, showing playing head tennis and going, oh, I love it here, you know, it's great, and I hope we get to run against Porto in the Champions League. 
you know, but they don't, they couldn't previously show you what's actually happening in the dressing room at half time. So this is the really interesting part. What what's this like? I have to say it was a little bit weirder than I than I expected. You get to see just how highly strung a kind of personality Guardiola is. It's really remarkable. Hmm. And you can sort of begin to see why it is that he likes to move on after three or four years. And I think a lot of the players are kind of mm, we learned a lot and Godspeed to <laughs> your next destination, Pep. Um it's real, like... He can be a bit much. Well, he, he it's really a lot. Like, if Kevin De Bruyne at one point says, one word to some of Pep, I'd say detail. Well, I would say, guys. Guys is the word, right? Pep says guys every four words. Um, yeah, every four words. He's speaking to the, the team. Come on, guys. Uh, against Burley, you guys, you were a thousand million, squillion times better than Dentity, guys. But guys, if you want to be a top, top, top team, guys, you have to score the fucking goals, guys. <laughs> I'm like, yes, this is this is kind of what Neil Warnock would say, but it is also the case. There's there's a remarkable little scene actually with Mikel Arteta, his his the the assistants or one of the many assistants, where they kind of duck into like a side room, and I honestly don't know if they. It seems like they've forgotten they're being filmed. Maybe there's just a camera. They're being filmed sort of what looks like a camera up in the corner of the room, talking quietly to each other about, I've just been talking to Sterling. Oh, he's such a great guy. He's such a great guy, says Pep. And you're like, I mean, it's mid-season, right? But he's like, he 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 says, you know what? He said he came to me and he apologized. He's, he's, missed, a, he's missed a chance. I think it was the same match against Burnley. He's missed like a sitter, like a proper, you know, open goal. Oh. Ah, oh, he he came to me and he said it was my fault. The team lost because of my shitty miss. You know, oh, I said to him, you know, I took you off because of the miss. You cannot miss that chance. This is a miss that you you cannot miss that chance. And I was kind of like, wow, this is. It is interesting that he would say. One thing that you do notice is that players in this team are made to feel very conscious of the mistakes. Like they've all made one at some stage. Kyle Walker has has made more than one. <laughs> Walker's uh, Walker had one against Liverpool. You might remember in the Champions League. Uh, oh, another one against Wigan Sterling, obviously. Uh, Delph got sent off for one after he called for more aggression from the lads. He got get sent off for too much aggression. Bravo, Bravo actually denies mistakes. He kind of says, "Well, you know, the circumstances weren't in my favor." But like City players, are obviously made to feel guilty about it. It's like it's not like Pep is there clapping his hands on the sideline, going, "Don't worry, Raheem." You know, just keep getting in those positions and the next one will go in. He's like, you're off. You know, that you can't do that. At this level, that's unacceptable. It's unforgivable. So you're off now. Which is funny because you would think that would mean the players play with fear, which makes you play within yourself. And yet that's not the case with Pep's players. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you, I agree that, that you, would, you would think that. You don't want players thinking about mistakes, but he obviously feels, no, it's important. There's a minimum standard here. You can't do that. You miss you miss an open goal from two yards. Get off the pitch. I mean, Sterling went on to do that in the World Cup. Obama Yang, I, I saw him just the, against Chelsea over the weekend. Well, Pep is like, nah, mate. Oh, it's awful. Sit out the next game there. Um, but but it is. I mean, what 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 you notice about him is like the performance. Everything is like a performance, and this is why I was thinking. Okay, the, you think 
how can you have cameras in the dressing room? Surely that should be a space where they're allowed to just, you know, be them, be themselves and not have to worry about the sort of perceptions. Then you realize, actually, no, everyone is already performing. There's so many people in there milling around. Like, it's a huge, there's, there's a, it's such a huge operation that, like, it's kind of like a constant public situation. Like, their private time is with each other, is, is with their families. You know what I mean? It's like, when they win the league... Like, they don't go, like, Pep, there's a scene where Pep's like, oh, guys, one of his rare supporter interludes where he's like, we're, we're going to have the biggest party when we win this league. We're going to have the biggest party. In the end, there's no party. There's, like, they're, they're all at home. They, they win the league because Man United lose to West Brom. Most of them aren't even watching the game because they assume that United will win. They only turn it on. It's like, West Brom are winning already. Uh, and then there's, like, five of them who go to the pub. We saw the video Vince of and company. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Big Vince, Stonesy, Bernardo, the English core. Kyle Walker. Uh, the English score two of whom you mentioned are English. Yeah. I mean, Guardiola said, we'll have the biggest party. And then it's actually Mendy who has to organize the party. Or M- Mendy, he messages Guardiola and says, hey, listen, guys, don't worry. Uh, but boss, don't worry. I'll sort out the party. Um, he, there, there, is no, there is no actual party. <laughs> it's not that type of... But, like, he, the, he's, he's so intense and so sort of... You see him shouting, like shouting at Wenger, shouting at other managers. He's always doing this in, in ways which I kind of feel at times make him look a bit ridiculous. But the, the, the I'm talking about the performance. It's like when he's talking to the team, he never talks for too long, but it's like everything is, he's like fully acting it out with like every limb. You know, he's like shouting and he's swearing and he's like dancing around. Hence the David Brent's, David yeah. Brent dance meme. Because it's like, it's not simply standing there and talking. Like, that's not apparently not enough to hold the attention of these players. You need to, like, inhabit the whole thing. You need to show if, if you want the players. And then he kind of, uh, he's always got the tactics board and he's got the little counters. And, and you see him on this. He's like, like, okay, if, you, if the ball is here, the space is here. If the ball is here, the space is here. You know, like, how can they possibly follow? How can they possibly follow what he's saying here? This is performance. Like, this, is, this isn't getting through, is it? I mean, it must, it must be on some level. It's like the training ground stuff must be worth getting through because the truth the evidence is there in what they do on the field you know what i mean it's like we mentioned the comparison earlier with manchester united they they have spent similar amounts of money under the new manager for the same amount of time and one of them is playing much better football than the other so what he's doing is working but the way that he comes across i mean here's one example right we play this clip this is an example of this is actually very much towards the end of the documentary i honestly found this amazing i mean remember that one of the reasons clubs have traditionally been reluctant to do these types of movies is because the, the manager ends up looking looking foolish. The manager ends up either going, you can bring your dinner, or, you know, John Joe Shelby, King of the Golf, or whatever. Yeah. Or do I not like that? Do I not like that? That's the best. With with, for some reason, they have, Graham Taylor appears to have consented to paunch cam, where the camera is resting on his paunch, looking up at his face from a distance of, of like... Uh, you know 12 inches and like that's the angle that you get just his face filling the screen as he as his eyes roll and he looks from side to side go platte <laughs> okay so pep uh i think pep actually gives up a lot of that type of stuff in this there's a lot of on the face of it ridiculous stuff that he does and i found this actually was kind of staggering here's pep at the end of the season like a, or you know, before one of the sort of last matches of the season, remember they've won the league. They, the league's been won a couple of games back, and they're doing a team meeting. And I suppose that it's about at this stage trying to maintain the the um, motivation, but also here he wants to dole out a bit of credit to the the real heroes, the real heroes of this operation, and we all know who they are. 
Can you imagine a, a, ball, a ball boy in his own country, small country, ball boy, go to the academy with 13 years old and have to play in the first team, in his own team, in the hurry. Stay there a lot of years and have to become a manager with 37 years old and four years destroyed football. It's me. It's me. I had the privilege to live that. I destroyed football like you destroyed the Premier League. Like you destroyed the Premier League this season. And the people started saying that that team. How Pep, how good is Right, left, left, right. Inside, upside, left the pitch. Ah, how good it is. Pep is tough. No, no, no. No, no. All the time I said the same. It's friend with you. Of course, but many media, press conference like this, and the people believe it's the managers. No, guys, it belongs to you. Yeah, the football guys belong to you, not belong to me. Belong to you. That is subtitled when it appears in the documentary because as you can hear, the audio quality isn't great. They're in this sort of meeting room and I don't know if Pep's mic wasn't working or something like that. Just to run over the things, if he couldn't, if it was a bit indistinct, he's talking, he, he tells a story about a little ball boy. Imagine a little ball boy in a small country, Catalonia, uh, who goes to his club, the club of his heart, and then becomes the manager at 37 and in four years destroys football. He destroys football like you've destroyed the Premier League. And I'm kind of like, all right, why am I managing this? <laughs> He's, it's me. And I'm like, yeah, I know it's you, but why are you telling us this? We all know this. What's the point of this? How is this going to reflect on what you want to say? He goes on to say, um, of course, and people start to say, the Pep team. Oh, Pep, how he is. Right, left, right, left. Inside, outside. Oh, how good he is. Pep is top. Because <laughs> oh, I, cause I did, I must confess, I did lose a little bit Yeah, uh, as it went along. Oh, how good he is. Pep is top. No, 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 guys. It's you. Uh, the football belongs to you. It's you guys. You Basically, you deserve the credit. I know people are going to give me the credit. People will, People believe it's the manager. Pep, uh, the people, people say, oh, yes, Pep is so good. Pep is amazing. Pep is top. No, guys, it's you. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you. <laughs> what? Is that? I mean, you're, and you see the, the, the players. The players are, usually, are sitting there. And, the, and like all of these performances, the players are just sitting there, like mostly very passively, like just sort of staring. And it's just like, what's going on in their heads when they see this? It's like, oh, God, here he goes. You know what I mean? There's a certain amount of time, I think, this type of high-intensity management like have you ever seen you've seen that footage of Ferguson doing these team talks and, and there's there's not much of it and I wish there was more this is what I you're thinking I really wish there was more of this just historically to see the different styles of these what they're actually doing his his approach was very different much more like he would have been low energy Jeb compared to this right this is like uh, he's like oh lads you know um, don't think they've got a fucking chance against us you know, like it's kind of, but it's more like uh, maybe as he went on, but when he was Pep's age. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I, 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 could you imagine Alex Ferguson in the Aberdeen dressing room, for example, uh, I, I, putting it up to Rangers? Why? And why? Is, why did nobody sneak a camera in? Yeah. I wish. I wish. But look, um, is it worth a, a watch? Look, I mean, everyone, everyone listening to this is a football fan. Clearly, everyone just watches the, you know, consumes the content. Uh, People will get around to it probably. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, six cans out of ten. Yeah, I mean it was okay. I, we should also also mention the the bosses. You know, Caldoun, Caldoun Al Mubarak. They do go to Abu Dhabi. 
At one point, they're, they're in Abu Dhabi. They're showing shots of Abu Dhabi with Wonderwall playing over them, which sort of shows the, the tension at the heart of Manchester City, you know, like this song that they play, which what does it mean to players who, many of whom weren't even born when that song came out, you know what I mean? The Some were born here, others drawn here, but we all call it home is the motto around the top of their dressing room. Uh, but you do get the this, this sense of how kind of closed off they are, not just from Manchester, but of, of the whole world, like this little cocoon of privilege. Uh, every so often, the Sheikh calls in, and Khaldun al-Mubarak, who's usually quite smooth, he's the he's the sort of guy who runs um, City on behalf of Sheikh Mansour. He's usually pretty smooth and chilled and, and just dispensing compliments and praise. But when the shake rings, you can see that he's, he's sort of quite on edge, keen for everything to go right. And then he sort of hands the phone to Pep, and and Pep's like, oh, hello. And, uh, oh, yes, 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 uh, we play well. Or, oh, yes, yes, thank you, thank you. And then, like, hands the phone back after, like, you know, 12 seconds. You can see just how passionate the shake I mean, imagine you were the, the, the madly passionate owner of Manchester City, and you had the opportunity to speak to Pep about the team. Would you take a bit longer than 12 seconds? I mean, I know Pep's time is precious. But if, if you were into it, would you not say, hey, Pep, you know? Well, you'd end up at one of those speeches where Pep is like, shake, it's not about me. People will say it's about Pep. It's about your money. People will say, oh, Pep, Pep is top. You know, you know how he is. Pep is the best. Uh, but really, it's about you. You have done an amazing job. Um, I mean, as to the, the question of, it doesn't really show you much about Abu Dhabi. They're, they're clearly not keen to sort of focus too much on that aspect of it. Um from a public relations point of view, the more focus on Abu Dhabi you have, the the less it kind of begins to become counterproductive. Uh, in terms of watching this documentary, ethically speaking, I don't think it's really any different from watching Manchester City. You know what I mean? Um, maybe a bit more entertaining than watching one of their procession-like Premier League games. Uh, and definitely in terms of what you, what you see of, of how it works on the inside, it is a bit of an eye-opener. Who's everyone's match-winning hero tonight? Uh, Shane Duffy. Two goals. <laughs> Two goals, Alvo. Two goals and a tragic red card <laughs> that rules him out of the group stage of the World Cup. <laughs> 16 players there into the danger zone. Shots maybe yes! <laughs> You go home to your mother and your father, you grow up to be strong. Determination etched all over that as he stretched for it to put it home. And Ireland lead 1-0. And now we've 85 minutes to sit the edge of our seats. This happened before and we know what can happen. Now it's up to them. Oh, we're getting ready for Russia. Good luck. Let's get property stuck into Manchester United's defeat yesterday. Now we've got John Bruin and Daniel Harris to chat to us about this, guys. Good to have both of you on. Uh, Daniel, I'll start with you. You were there. Um, what went wrong is the first question. Um, almost everything. Everything that could go wrong went wrong, more or less. And it's funny because um, I think most of most United supporters saw the team and thought, that's the team I would have picked. That's a decent team. 
But beyond that, the problem with United is even if you take away the defensive errors from Lindelof and Bailly, and I'm sure we'll come to that, but they're two young centre-backs who probably shouldn't be playing together much as we would like them to because they're interesting. Um, but the lack of intensity, the lack of drive going forward, the lack of cohesion going forward meant that United struggled to uh, create anything. And more or less, that's been the story under Mourinho. They've got some all right results, but in terms of attacking play, they're more or less waiting for one of the good players to do something or a few of the good players to combine. But they don't have a method. They don't know what they're doing. John, where do you John, think most of the blame lies in the attacking of the defensive side? Well, the, uh, the person that should take responsibility for it... Um, is Jose Mourinho, the manager. Um, and you could say maybe the, the, the people who made the decision to make Jose Mourinho the manager. Um, <laughs> well, we could go along back. We could go a long way back there, Ian. Who, who appointed Jose? Who appointed Ed? You know, whose fault was it that this whole... Si- you know, I think, Daniel, you were talking about Rocker Gibraltar this morning uh, on, on Twitter. So, like, the chain of causation can go back a long way. Are you saying... Oh, Sorry? I blame God. Yeah, I mean, it goes back a long way to whoever the ultimate cause is that, that was responsible for this mess we're all in here. But you're saying you pinned this one, John, on Jose. Uh, listen, I was I was just looking through some stuff from three years ago uh, when this all started to happen at Chelsea, and the signs are very similar. Um Players not running as hard as they used to. What was the statistic yesterday? 95. 95 kilometres Manchester United ran. That is a Masters football total. <laughs> that's Boris Johnson. You know Boris Johnson at Anfield? 95 kilometres. Yeah, that's Ollie Murs on your left wing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's... I mean, I think other teams have run less than that, but I think most of them have, have suffered like the sending off. So, mm. it's, it, 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 yeah, it was amazing. Um a lack of effort. Um, you've also got some very mixed messages in the post-match with Paul Pogba saying his attitude wasn't right. Well, whose job is it to get the players' attitude right? That's the manager. Um, oh, and, and the players. I mean, is it not the players' job to get the players' attitude right? This is a World Cup winner we're talking about. Yes, it is. It is, um, of course. But... Um, uh, you know, the, the the comparison with any Manchester United manager is made to Alex Ferguson and Alex Ferguson, through alchemy or whatever, managed to make that dressing room motivated. And that's the least you expect from any football team and especially Manchester United over the standards they've set over the last you know, three decades or whatever. And those standards are dropping uh, because the manager... Um, maybe not for completely his own fault, has lost control and is losing control in a fashion we've seen before. Daniel, how would you interpret what we saw from Paul Pogba after the game? And also, what do you think of how he played? Because he's got very mixed reviews. I mean, say, for instance, I saw Danny Murphy talk about how he was, you know, he just kept coming back. He just showed character. I saw Paul Skull saying he was absolutely rubbish. He didn't, you know, he couldn't understand what he was trying to do. So, you know, what do you, what do you make of him? Amazingly, Paul Scholes knows more about playing in midfield than Danny Murphy, I would say. Um, he gave the ball away, someone told me, 27 times yesterday. But he had it like 102 times, so or, or he had like 102 times. Like he had more touches than anybody, so he's he's going to give it away a lot, you know, especially when he's trying to keep things, um, you know, throwing the dice to, to get uh, guys in on goal and so on. Could we argue that? No, I didn't really feel like he was doing that. 
Um, he wasn't putting himself about. And um, I felt like there was one moment that, that encapsulated United's whole performance. There were actually lots of moments that were very similar to this in one way or another. But in the second half, um, he got the ball on the touchline and the ball went out of play. Everyone on everyone in the ground saw the ball went out of play, apart from the officials. So he was allowed to carry on and he immediately delivered the ball straight back to Brighton. Um, his, he was careless in possession. He wasn't galvanising those players who were around him. And um, you can you can allow him the stuff that doesn't come off because that's that's football. He is an attacking player. He's a risk-taking player, and that's why he's good. But to give the ball away 27 times, that's once every three minutes nearly, is uh, quite an astounding display, I would say. I mean, it's I wouldn't say it was Pogba's fault. In the same way, I wouldn't say it was Mourinho's fault. I would say that there's a lot of blame to go around and no need to be sparing. So it doesn't need to boil down to what is wrong with United is one thing, because what's wrong with United is so many things go from the top to the bottom of the club and encompass more or less every aspect of it. But no, Pogba was crap yesterday. Well, what's your review then of one of his partners in midfield, Fred, uh, obviously the major signing of the summer? Um, where does he fit into the tradition of Manchester United Brazilian midfielders, Cleberson, Anderson, Fred? You know, how, how is he... How is he fitting into that line? You mean World Cup winner Cleverson to give him his full name? But um, Fred looks like... I haven't seen that much of Fred, but what I have seen of him, he looks like if you boil him down to what his attributes are meant to be, he's actually the right kind of player. United need players who are going to join the dots because, as I said earlier, they lack a pattern, they lack a style, but they've got some individuals who are capable of doing some good things at times. Um, he, he looks like he can run with the ball, he can pass the ball, he looks to pass it early but he hasn't really shown very much of that yet. But I wouldn't get after him after two games playing in a team that doesn't know what it's doing. He's not. You can't expect him to come in necessarily and start commanding it immediately. And in the first 20 minutes, actually, before Brighton scored, United looked like they had some ability to move the ball through midfield because what they do have in Pogba, Fred and Pereira, who seem to get blamed for what happened in the first half, is players that can all do a variety of the jobs that you need to do in midfield. They're all happy to take the ball under pressure. They can all run with the ball. They can all pass the ball. But they don't know where they're meant to be at the precise time, so you don't get those link-ups very often. There was one move that United put together that went through Pogba, through Fred, through Pereira, and you thought, aha, maybe this might be the start of something, but it only happened once. And I don't think that it, you can necessarily just say, well, this individual isn't playing well. Fred didn't play well yesterday. But in a system that doesn't really seem to exist, it's hard to say, well, the problem is this one player. Because if you look through the United side yesterday, amazingly, Luke Shaw, I thought, actually played pretty well. But the rest of them were absolutely useless. So I wouldn't just say, well, it's Fred's fault because there's so many other things going wrong that you need to you need to look at the big picture. Yeah, that point about Fred, I guess, is crystallised, John. In one of the goals was caused by... David De Gea deciding to chip one, a little dinky chip into into midfield for Fred to collect. He was dispossessed straight away. He was probably looking at it thinking, I didn't realise I was playing for Pep Guardiola here. I wasn't expecting a little chip 30 yards into the middle like Man City like to do. It was just another example of, of Manchester United being caught. Is it even right to say being caught between systems or styles of play? Or does anyone know exactly what style of play they're striving for? Like, Can you see anything that you saw yesterday that would explain that Mourinho's changing things in a way that will bear fruit later on in the season? Well, in a word, no. Uh, I, I think this is the, the greatest problem with what we might have to call later period Mourinho is that 
the patterns of play have gone. Um, his greatest teams uh, would, would probably be, I mean, his greatest teams would probably be the Chelsea team, two Chelsea teams that he had, especially the first one, where they attacked in waves. They drove on through their opposition uh, with absolute power um, and belief. And uh, I don't know the running stats from back then, but I suggest they ran further than 95 collective kilometres. Um, but this team and his late period Chelsea team lack that cohesion. Uh, you get the impression that he's just putting players into the team and hoping that they come off like Andres Pereira, who's taken off at half-time. Uh, he's whacked Bailly and Lindelof together because he doesn't really know what else to do. Uh, he seems vulnerable. Um, and as I said before, it's something that we saw three years ago at Chelsea. He's, it's, it's not a new thing with him, but it's the second time around and he looks just as powerless as he did back then. Yeah. And uh, Yes, go on, Ken. I, I want to ask you both this question. Um, uh, Daniel, I don't think you would have seen it at the time, but you've probably seen it since, John. You might have seen it if you're watching it on, on TV. But the, uh, after the final whistle, the camera sought out Ed Woodward, who sat in his chair pursing his lips grimly with the face of a man who knew that the camera would be seeking him out at exactly that time. Um, what do you think was going through his head? And if you were in that head, what would you... <laughs> 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 if, you if you were sharing that cranial space, what would you be... What would the voice in Ed Woodward's head be telling him today? Where does he go from here? First of all, John. Um... I think a couple of weeks ago there was talk of a director of football, how Manchester United have admitted that there have been structural problems and that they would bring someone in. Um, my prediction on this is that uh, should this director of football arrive relatively soon, uh, he will be the person to tell Jose Mourinho that uh, his services are no longer required. I think Edward Wood has a problem in that he... Uh, his his own reign as executive vice vice chairman is tarnished by the fact that uh, of Moyes, Van Gaal and Jose Mourinho, three appointments are on his head, no matter how, how much uh, the Alex Ferguson selection was made. Moy, five years you, ago you, or whatever. You, would, you you count Moyes as a as a Woodward appointment as well. I must say, I always kind of thought it was just Ferg They just agreed to go along with Ferguson's suggestion. That time. well, Ed Woodward was the was the guy who was. You know, was moving into that position, he would have okayed the appointment. He also uh, was the uh, executive vice chairman who, of course, let Moyes down in that first transfer window. So, uh, the failure of that regime, he holds some responsibility for it. So, at this point, Ed Woodward uh, might be worrying about what the Glazers uh, over in America think of his stewardship. Now, obviously, the money's been great, the money's still flowing in, but the football team is beginning to lose its cachet, lose its prestige, beginning to lose its hope of winning the title. If I was Ed Woodward, I'd be very worried. And, of course, the biggest problem, that uh, one of the biggest problems actually that United have is that Manchester City, currently, you know, uh, docudrama stars, are the best team in the country and showing other, t other clubs how it should be done. And that's even more embarrassing for Ed Woodward. So if I was Ed Woodward, my lips would be pursed just as tightly. <laughs> what do you think, Dinah? What? Um... If I was in Edward Wood's head, um, yeah. I guess uh, if you're interrupting me from drawing nography to you all over the show, uh, I broadly agree with John. 
that he has not made good appointments or appointments that look like they've been that good. But I think, again, it's, it is a bit more complicated than that. If you're him, then you're thinking, right, you have to make sure, first of all, that the money keeps coming in. So they appointed Mourinho because he seemed like the best bet to get United into the top four and to keep them there. So now he's thinking he probably, on a personal level, he probably wants rid of Mourinho. And on a football level, the evidence is also beginning to mount up. Yet, if you were to get rid of Mourinho, is there someone you could bring in who you were sure would keep that money coming in? Now, I think that almost any manager in world football would be able to conjure better football out of the players that Mourinho has. That would not be difficult. But again, if you think, well, who would get United, who, who, who would have done what Mourinho has done with United in the amount of time? That's harder to fathom because United were rubbish when Mourinho turned up. They might still be rubbish now, but they won the Europa League, they won the League Cup, and they finished second in the league last season and got to the Cup final. With the group of players that he has, that's about their level because the players that they have under any manager would not be as good as the players that City have under Pep Guardiola. So it's quite a gamble to get rid of Mourinho and to bring in someone else who will make it more entertaining but wouldn't necessarily protect your bottom line in the same way. But if United keep losing then and that top four situation looks like it's going out of the window, then getting rid of Mourinho becomes a much easier decision but obviously it may also be taken away from Woodward at some point because he's obviously not good at making these decisions, doesn't appear to know anything about football, but at the same time thinks he knows more about football than Jose Mourinho does. City look like they're going to keep on rolling. Meanwhile, John, they, they haven't been distracted by their newfound status, as you say, as reality TV <laughs> stars. Uh, looked pretty good yesterday and was quite interested with Guardiola afterwards because Sergio Aguero scored a hat-trick. You would expect a manager of a player who scores a hat-trick to lavish him with praise. It, it has been a long time coming, though. For many years, Pep, uh, well, for many years, for the couple of seasons he's been there, has been kind of slow to praise Aguero. We, I think everybody's aware that he's tried to make him into more of a, a player who contribute around the field as well as just knocking in the goals. Yesterday, or at the weekend, he was just, uh, it was un- unbelievable. He was praising him like he's the greatest player he's ever seen. Yes, I mean, I've just been watching the, you know, the Amazon Prime thing. This, the second, second episode is dedicated to Aguero, um, and it reminds just how special a player he has been in Manchester City's history. And I think if you asked the average Manchester City fan, they would say, you know, Aguero has been the greatest. Um, but yes, Guardiola, he likes to do things differently. Um, I mean, there's talk that Gabriel Jesus will become, will take over from Aguero. But from from my uh, my view is that He's not even in the same class as Aguero. Um, and He's only just gone 30 as well, Sergio Aguero. He was just, just checking. He was, uh, at his 30th birthday during the summer. So it's He's not been like... Playing. He's been playing since he was 15. Yeah, I know. That's why it feels like... Yes. I, I thought he'd be... Actually, I, I was checking and I thought he must be 32, 33. Mm. Yeah, just because he's been playing since he's 15. I, you know, it looks like he keeps himself in reasonable nick, John. Yes, he, yes, exactly, yeah. Um, and it, it seems like... I mean, according to this documentary, he lives some sort of monastic life uh, in a a flap in which there doesn't seem to be any natural light, which I find quite interesting. But um, he, yes, I, I think Aguero is someone, I think he stands out as a, as a footballer and he doesn't seem the most social type. He um, is very dedicated to playing the game. Um, his, best and, friend, his best friend is uh, David De Gea. Yes. Mm. Yes, which I found interesting. But I mean, and, and that, what I did find interesting is that yeah, other than Nicolas Otamendi, De Gea was his 
best friend because of a relationship that they struck up at Atletico when I would imagine Day was pretty young. Um, and it, it seems to me that what one of the things about Aguero, which is odd, is that he is something of the other at Manchester City in that he doesn't really seem to have integrated into the into the city, maybe so much into the club. Though having said that, when I, I used to go and watch Manchester City regularly, um, when Aguero is injured, as he, as he often has been, that you used to see him actually just stood in the tunnel, watch him, sat, stood in his suit, and he really did enjoy watching the team playing and he would celebrate the goals. So he's committed to the club. Um, it, it, he's just... I suppose a slight a player who stands out from the rest because his attitude is maybe different to the rest. He's not one of the lads, um, which maybe you might think Pep Guardiola might approve of, but it's more that he doesn't tackle back, I think, is Pep Guardiola's grandest problem. Really. Yeah, well, he must be doing a bit of that now because he was, he was getting plenty of praise from the gaffer yesterday. Daniel Harris, John Bruin, brilliant stuff. Thanks a million. See you. Cheers. I knew the place. Fluff, that he calls me Rabbi, didn't know them. He said to me, what can you do that the boss hasn't done? You, the boss. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. But there's no way to win it better. Why not? Only... No, 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 no. But that's the only hope I've got. We've only lost four matches. Then... But that, well, I can only lose three. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. Fluff, that he calls me Rabbi. Now that might that might be you know aiming for utopia, and it might be, might mean being a little bit stupid, but that is the way I am. I'm a little bit stupid regarding this type of thing. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. The praise of Sergio Aguero I mentioned from Pep Guardiola. Well, firstly, he stopped Aguero coming off the field, so it was the usual sort of handshake, kissed him, bit of a hug. But then yeah, he. Dragged him back a little bit more, big smile on his face, gave him a proper kiss, nice embrace. Then he said, I never saw Sergio like right now. Of course he scored three goals, but he created chances and passes and movement. He came back from the World Cup and we said, wow, what happened with that guy? He's sharp. He's fit. So Pep's loving him. Well, I mean, it's interesting in terms of what it suggests about what Pep thought of Aguero before now. Yeah. You know, he's he's kind of saying he wasn't sharp and wasn't fit for the last two years. Um... Aguero in in that documentary did have a operation on his knee, uh, which apparently he, his his left knee I think he wasn't quite able to bend fully for a long time, which is which isn't ideal if you're a football player. Um, so maybe that has something to do with why he's playing better now. Uh, of course, with Aguero, it's always been the question of how long can he sustain, and and, and also you know he he scored a lot of goals against Huddersfield. He's always like cleaned up in those types of matches. It's not necessarily what he'll be judged on, I think. Um, but, you know, the fact that, that that Guardiola can play him with Gabriel Jesus is good for Aguero, uh, both because I think he can score more goals with a... or his weaknesses aren't as exposed when he's got a partner alongside him. And it means that he's not basically going to be dropped necessarily for a lot of the matches because Guardiola has decided to play only one striker. So he says, OK, I'm play two strikers. That means there's room for Aguero in this team. Uh, the pressure, the competition is going to be elsewhere. Um, and if Aguero's fit, then he'll probably play most of these games. Monday night football tonight. Liverpool are playing Crystal Palace. Mm. Anything interesting going into that one? Um, well, Crystal Palace are a team that, that that give Liverpool a lot of problems. A team that, <laughs> I, I keep talking about it, 
but I've seen so much Manchester City content that I, that somehow everything that comes up, I'm like, oh, well, that's, that reminds me. Uh, there's a scene where uh, Guardiola's like, guys, you know, it's it's a great, great performance, guys, great performance. But, you know, just in case you were thinking of resting on your laurels, Crystal Palace, guys, Crystal Palace. And, and he says the, and the analyst has been like looking at them and he's like, wow. He said to me, Crystal Palace, wow. This is the palace of Roy Hodgson. Wow. And indeed, it was a tough game for City, if you can recall. Uh, yeah, there was they a penalty. No, no, it was a draw, oh, draw. But Palace could have won it with a penalty late on that was saved. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, so he was right about that. Um, difficult team, obviously under Hodgson to score against. Klopp has given an interview to Kicker magazine. He's resisted the temptation to join in the pylon on Mesut Ozil, saying simply, I have nothing to add about Mesut Ozil. This is Ozil who's seen Tony Kroos, Thomas Muller, and uh, he was uh, uh, Manuel Neuer all say, hmm, nonsense, there's no racism in the national team. Don't know what he's talking about. Uh, they've, all, <laughs> they've all come out and said that. Uh, so not a great deal of support from his former teammates. Klopp, at least, has, has resisted the opportunity to, to get involved. But he does talk about Carius. He says something extraordinary. Well, almost extraordinary. Because he says, um, uh, I didn't tell Carius what he wanted to hear, but how it is. The Champions League final had nothing to do with us getting Alisson. Even if he had won it and Alisson would have been on the market, we would still have signed Alisson. But how the people reacted negatively to Carius after the final, tried to isolate him, almost made me not get Alisson and stick it out with Carius. What? But we have to be professional. Our job is to have the best players in every position. So it's almost an extraordinary thing that he said there. But at the end of the day, it may just be an example of him actually telling, giving, throwing Carius a little biscuit and saying, look, Carius, I like you. I like you and I like your style. But this guy, Allison, is an amazing goalkeeper. And there is, there's talk today that maybe Carius is going to go to Turkey. Was it Besiktas or Fenerbahce? One of the Turkish clubs had made tentative inquiries, so um, whether loan or uh, proper transfer, he may be on the way out, which I think would probably be just as well for this season at least. We'll have plenty more football on the World Service during the week. In the meantime, thanks very much again. Thank you very much, John. Congratulations on watching that entire series over the weekend, and we'll talk to you again during the week. It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.